Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike. It's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride because you just tuned in to the Swandingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life. And let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together. And welcome back to another episode of the Swan Dingo Files. Today I have a special guest on, Josh Elledge. He is also a fellow podcaster of Up My Influence, and he's been a featured in media over 2,500 times. How's it going today, Josh? Hey, it's great to be here, Stephen. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm glad you took time out of your busy day. I know uh, you're doing a lot of stuff and you're crushing it on the outside since you've been, since you got out of the Navy. We won't hold that against you being in the Navy, but the Army is still better. Um, Anyways, so today we're going to talk about why you joined the military, your, what you did while you're in the military, yeah. your transition out, some issues that you might have had that mm-hmm. some other veterans might want to learn from, and then how you're killing it on the outside and why you, why you do what you do. So yeah. you can begin. Yeah. Uh, just why did you why did you join the military? Yeah. Um. Well, you know. Grew up um, kind of poor, working middle class in the in the, the Midwest, and um, you know I looked at all of my options at the time, and and I don't know that I was like I was a good student, um, and then I got distracted uh, in high school a little bit. Like I I always had like a crazy strong work ethic, um, but you know I was just adding up the numbers, and I'm like I am not seeing how college is going to be possible, and. You know, and I, I think part of me too, really, and especially in hindsight, like it, it was good for me to change my environment, and I, I needed to, you almost kind of hit the reset button a little bit in my personal life, and just say, you know what, I'm going to try to create everything I can from scratch. And we had a recruiter that came into my journalism class, and he brought a, uh, I guess, a, a recent graduate from our high school. And he was a photographer in in the uh, in the Navy at the time. And he's like, man, I'm hanging out of helicopters and shooting video and doing taking photos. I'm like, man, well, that sounds pretty fun. So my friend and I, who was in that same class, we went, of course, we went to the recruiter, uh, you know, certainly heard their spiel. Um he ended up not being able to join because he had some back issues or something like that. Um, I took the ASVAB. I did pretty well. They, they, so, of course, they have you take the advanced test then. And I did okay on that. And then they put me in depth to become, uh, like, you know, a nuclear submarine type stuff. Uh, and, you know, I got, I got to thinking about that. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't want to do that. Like, that's not, that's not what I do. I wanted to, I, I really wanted to be a journalist. And the problem with journalists is there aren't too many of them. And so, Thankfully, they got me in. And so, uh, so I went to journalism school and at the time was in all branches. It was still is defense information school. Um, but this is outside of Indianapolis and, uh, what a cool experience. So not only boot camp, right? So boot camp's awesome because, you know, we had an all Michigan, um, company. And so you had like all these guys from like, you know, rough situation, Detroit, you know, you have these, kids from like small towns like me, you know, up to no good. It was, it was just awesome. Like you just, you just, you know, and then of course you go to defense information school. Now you've got just people from all over coming together. Like that was so good for me to be exposed to so many different 
types of backgrounds and experiences and, and viewpoints that made me a better person. But one of the most um, transformative moments, you know, my early military experience was in school was um, I'm sure you've seen the movie Good Morning Vietnam. And uh, oh, yes, I, I actually love that movie. It's actually pretty yeah. cool. One of my favorite. Robin Williams, of course, plays uh, Captain Adrian Cronauer. Uh, or, I'm sorry, Staff Sergeant Cronauer. Uh, uh, and so Staff Sergeant Cronauer uh, came in and spoke to our journalism class and then spent the day with us. And, um, you know, that that one day completely changed my life because what he he did, I was going into the you know, I was I thought journalism, journalism, that'll be fun. I'm going to enjoy it. And then, but he put the love of service and he put the love of, listen, of all the jobs you can do in the military, I cannot stress just how critical your role is in, in disseminating information, entertainment, information, you are help keeping people alive, you are help keeping people um, happy. Um, and like, I got religion in that moment. And, and to this day, um, you know, uh, Staff Sergeant Cronauer has impacted what I do for a living because I never stepped away from that role of wanting to serve audiences. At least I don't know that I'm very good at it, but I just enjoy it. And I, and I, I love what I do. I love, you know, from, from print and I, I mainly went kind of went the broadcast route. So I did, um, TV for three years in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Um, and then, uh, radio my last year uh, out in the Aleutian Islands on ADAC. And, um, man, what a great experience. But, you know, when I got to ADAC, too, um, this is another kind of um, pivotal moment where, you know, the chief sat me down. He says, listen, you know, it's isolated duty here. Um, folks don't see the sun. They spend pretty much 24-7 indoors. Um, winters are rough. And um, we almost always have a suicide or two. Um, you can can absolutely help keep you know, you, you are here to help people feel good. You're help. You are here to keep them informed. Like we need you, Josh, you know, and, and I just remember that conversation, um, you know, with him and I was like, wow, you know, so I, I want to extend this same message to anybody else who is a content creator today. Um, what you do matters. What you do, you know, we think about the content that's shared on social media. It's not all positive, and some of it is causing some real mental health issues, especially with our youth today. Um, if you can be a force for good, if you'll commit to that, and if you'll think, you know, in your gut, there is someone who's listening to me right now that I hope I can inspire them in some way. Right. Maybe it's just my example. Maybe it's just, you know, I'm going to uplift them, you know, with some positivity or whatever. Um, let that be the wind at your back. Because, again, as a content creator, if you're a blogger, a YouTuber, um, creating stuff on TikTok, like what you do really matters and it really impacts people's lives. Yeah, I'm glad you say that because you see so much stuff on uh, media, the news and everything, and it's always promoted the bad. And the bad always gets more views, of course. but. There's still a lot of people that go out there and I know you've got a big following and there's other ones like Richard Kaufman and, you know, we all have big, they all have big, big followings and spread a positive message and are trying to help out with, you know, other veterans. But, you know, it's just the negative always overpowers the good and that's just sad in our society today. And I'm glad you said that, said that right here. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, uh, I want to share that just because I, I don't know if this will come in conversation and it's kind of on the same note. Um, I, uh, I, I, I've done some work with USAA over the years. I'm um, just, you know, kind of as a, I'm not an influencer, but you know, I, I had a, you know, a specific audience and certainly, you know, kind of with that military affinity, it, it enabled me to do some good stuff with them. And one of those things that we got to go to the Army Navy game, uh, which by the way was the first one that the Army won in like decades. Um. <laughs> Um, just to tease you back. Uh, but, um, anyway, so I met, uh, Boo Corrigan, um, who, uh, was the, um, uh, U.S. Military Academy. He was a sports, uh, director of athletics. I believe I could be wrong on that, but I remember I did an interview with him and, um, you know, kind of on a similar note, right? Where we think about our role and especially if we think about, you know, are we, are we doing anything to support um, the veteran community um, and people that have had that experience. And, and, and he brought, came up a good point where he was talking about, listen, why is it that we say thank you uh, to thank you for your service to a veteran? And, you know, it's, it's I, I, you know, and it's really interesting because I don't know, um, you know, I'm sure there's folks that are listening. Prior to 9-11, that just wasn't really in our lexicon that I recall. 9-11 happened. All of a sudden, you know, our, you know, our men and women in uniform were much more visible since that date. And now, thankfully, I think culturally, I, I think we've made some good improvements there where we've we've recognized and we honor, you know, those who have served. But, you know, we kind of talked about this, you know, thank you for your service. Why do we say this? And at the very least, not all of us were tipped to the sphere. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, it was tough, right, when I went, but I mean, nowhere near. You know, the guy that I'm sitting next to at my kid's Veterans Day program, you know, where he, he's seen some stuff. Right. And so but you think at the very least, right, at the very least of us, you know, who served and wore that uniform, we, we write a blank check. And um, that takes a lot of chutzpah to, to, to do that and and to put your life on, in some cases, put your life on hold for, you know, three, four five years, which I did. Right. I got out of the I got out of the Navy. And well, I think this is probably where you're going to want to go conversation wise. All my friends are done with college at that point, and I'm just starting. You know, I had some college credits and stuff, so I had probably about half a year or something. But, you know, it was, that was frustrating for me because, you know, my parents are like, oh, we saw so and so, and he's like a biz, you know, it's like working as a, I don't know. It's just, I just remember some of this, like my parents kind of filling me in on some of my friends. I'm like, well, you know, good for them. I don't know that I would have even gotten to that path uh, had I not had, you know, four or five years to kind of grow up. And and I did. Uh, and, you know, and, and the kind of grit that I was able to create during that four or five years, it made me a better man. Um, so anyway, so so at the very least, you know, when you see someone, you hear about someone that's that served, you know, thank them for at least, you know, Putting some, putting some pretty major things on hold for a while, right? Cause it's, it is a sacrifice. Um, you know, but one other thing that he shared, um, about, you know, he, he listed off kind of the, his principles of leadership and he gave me three answers. I don't remember what the first two were, but the third one he shared, Stephen, was, and, and this is coming from someone like military life, military culture. And that third thing he said that all leaders should strive to become exceptional at is empathy. And like when he said that, like I was like, 
I for, I instantly forgot all the other questions I was going to ask us because I was like, what did you just say? Um, uh, uh, you know, like a military leader emphasizing empathy. But I think empathy is so valuable today, right? And so for empathic, you know, to those who we get to um, both lead and serve today, it helps the mission. You know, instead of this suck it up buttercup, rum some dirt in it, you know, just uh, which I experienced quite a bit <laughs> in my time. But um, but that, you know, I think I, I, I'm, I'm really heartened to see that that is you know, that's made its way into both military culture, but I think popular culture as well. Like, we ought to look out for each other. We ought to ask those questions. And the first time you ask, by the way, what, and this is another thing I want to bring up, you know, for our brothers and sisters here, it's like, you know, when you say, hey, is there anything I can do for you? The instant answer you know is going to be, it's like, no, I'm all right. right? Mm-hmm. That's, Very much like, so. They have to say that, like everyone has to say that because we're taught to be tough. We're taught to be taught to be resilient, right? But, but what he encouraged said, what I want you to do is I want you, when someone says, no, I'm all right, I want you to dig and or, and or try to come up with something specific. Um, I've got a friend in my life right now and he's going through some really rough stuff and depression and said some really crappy stuff happen. And, um, I say, hey, how's everything doing? Oh, pretty rough. It's like, well, man, let me know if there's anything I can do for you. Um, I, I did that about two, three times and he kept, it just kind of kept fizzling out. I was like, yeah, that's not going to work with this guy. Like you got to just say, come on, man, let's, let's go out and do something. Like let's, let's go ride bikes. Let's go play mini golf. Let's go, you know, whatever. Right. Just, just come up with something, grab them and, and, you know, that's part of leadership as well. Empathic leadership is like someone's going to, you know, they're going to say no. So you're going to have to be ready for that and be ready for that follow up or just go ahead and just say, Hey, why don't we do this? Yeah. I want to jump back to where you said not everybody was tip of the spear because you were a journalist in the Navy. Um, yeah. So I, a, I, a final job. I wasn't shot at, you know, I, you know, but see, okay. So what, what is the military for every 10? Or for every one combat soldier, there's ten support soldiers. Um, I don't wow. to let everybody know that it doesn't matter what your job is in the military, it doesn't matter what you do. Uh, the fact that you raise your right hand, you swore an oath to the United States, and the fact that you're going outside of your comfort zone to serve. I was a scout, a cavalry scout in the army, front lines, that kind of stuff. But I very much always appreciated the cooks, the mechanics, supply. I try to always make best friends with those people because if you ever needed anything, if you were, let's put it bluntly, if you were a dick or an asshole to them, they'd be like, no, get out of here. Or yeah, I'll put you on the list and you wouldn't get it. I, I made it up to E7 in the Army and, you know, I always try to make friends outside of my platoon, mm-hmm. squad, or our company, or troops, excuse me, instead of scouts. So we have troops instead of companies. And, you know, I always treated everybody with, with respect, and I always did ask, like, hey, if you ever need anything, just let me know. So mm-hmm. we'll, I'll be there for you. I'll support you. And just, you know, it, it was nice to get that camaraderie outside of the, of the platoon. So it doesn't matter what you did while you're in. The fact that you served is the, the bigger thing. You have stake in the game for the United States of America instead of just being someone that went to college. College is important. Don't get me wrong. Depending on what you want to do. I got two years worth of college. But, you know, you said that, oh, look, oh, your mom or whoever is like, oh, look what such and such is doing now. 
but do they have any stake in the game? Do they have any skin in the game? Do they have any, like, any, what do you call it, patriotism towards our country, I guess you can say. Do they, are, are they just like, oh, I'm just out here to make money. So I'm out here because doing this and what I'm doing now, and eventually I hope broaden my horizon because not only this, I want to help veterans. I want to help other people. I actually want to provide something back for somebody. Most people that go to college become self-centered. You know, they don't really see the broad picture of the United States as a whole. They just see themselves and what they're doing as a mission for them and how to, how to get them further in life and not how to pull other people up. I'm working with somebody now that's, he's also a veteran and he's also trying to lift me and my business partner up. Whereas most people we talk to, it's just, oh, well, it's all about me. The whole veteran community I've noticed is all about, hey, let's lift each other up. So that's why it's so so much better to work with, I think, veterans, why we succeed more in business and stuff like that. And it's why I really believe we actually should start looking out for each other more. And, you know, like you said, dig in when somebody says you see the problem, you know, dig into it, dig in. You know, we all have issues, so let's just help each other out. It's pretty I simple. Love it. I love it. And, and certainly, too, I think advocate, um, you know, it's, it's so obviously show up, do the thing and then identify where maybe it's not working or maybe someone is, um, you know, uh, it, I think it's appropriate to let them know, hey, I, I don't know that that's helpful for the mission here. Right. And and and. Uh, you know, and so kind of to, to rein people in, because I won't I won't say that. Uh, you know, every every college grad is one way and every military veteran is another way. Uh, but certainly um, I, I do see like the commonalities. I've, I've had the opportunity to hire a lot of veterans or a lot of mill spouses. Um, and that same, you know, kind of that that, that culture um, seeps, uh, you know, into the spouses as well. But uh, grit, determination, mm, yes, um, there yes. is no room for failure like those that I would say is very unique, um, you know, just. You know, you think about like, um, you know, where if you're given a mission, um, you don't just say, it's getting too hard. I, I'm not going to do it, right? That, that concept is just, it's so foreign, I think, for anyone who spent any amount of time, uh, you know, in uniform, you just don't think like that. It, it is, you do what is supposed to be done. And um, so that's really valuable. And, and, you know, again, to all my military veteran business owner friends, too, like it's cool. Like we, we share that, um, that that that's a that's a cool trait. If that's what's the, the you know, what's running in your blood, um, that that kind of grit determination. And we just get the thing done. I, I, lo- I love that. That that is certainly, I'd say, pretty unique. Yeah, it's definitely you're going to find that more in the military community because we can't we can't accept failure. It's just yeah. it's not in our DNA anymore. And brainwash out of us, no matter what branch. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a nice little word. I guess brainwash out of us in basic training. So I mean, you did what you were told and you followed suit. And as you built up in the military, you know, you, you got more responsibility and you got more more freedom to exercise your initial or what you needed to do to accomplish the mission. And it makes your brain work more. You get more uh, critical thinking skills in the military than what you do on the outside because everything's 
I think in the military, everything's so purpose-driven. I think you have to use your brain to try to accomplish your mission. So as you get leadership, especially as an E7, which I hated being an E7, it was not fun. It was all paperwork and no away from the troops and everything. But as you're building up, you get more, you're required to start thinking more with your brain. And that's something that you don't see a lot out of people that don't join the military. They're just, they're, the critical thinking skills just aren't bred into them, I don't think. Excuse me. But, um, so let's, uh, so you're a journalist. What was your favorite thing you ever covered as a journalist? Oh my gosh. <laughs> the, oh the December, the December 7th anniversaries. Uh, so I was in Pearl Harbor and, um, I mean, you know, when they talk about the greatest generation and you see the emotion, I mean, here we are, you know, you know, dec- decades, like four, four decades beyond, five decades beyond, you know, when these folks were there and they still come and it's, it's hallowed ground for them. And so many tears and so much pride and, and how we as a country came together to respond, you know, in response, you know, to such a, uh, what I would call a heinous event, right? It was. And, um, but that, uh, that, that those were, you know, I was there. So three times I was there for, you know, when the, all, you know, all the anniversary stuff was going down, um, Man, did it make me proud to be an American and to be able to look at those who served before me and said, man, I don't know if I could live up to what these guys and and gals had to do, but boy, are they an inspiration for me. And I felt so humbled and honored to be able to, you know, kind of, you know, take my teeny, teeny, tiny little step as a, you know, witnessing or being a part of a legacy of history, right? And that was just so humbling. Of course, as the journalist, I got to interview survivors uh, and, you know, those who were there um, during that time. And, oh, man, you know, you, you just you just so much respect. Um, but, yeah, th- that was absolutely uh, one of the best. Now, um, fun. Uh, <laughs> I would, I would say the most fun stuff I got to do in ADAC, uh, I got to do a morning radio show for, so from six to nine every morning, um, you know, I got to play music and just, you know, really try to drive, um, number one, you know, kind of just insert good, right? But also it was really interesting about, you know, just culture. So you have a, you know, when you have an isolated duty base, like, you know, it's just, it's really fun to be a part of the culture that's going on. And, you know, we had a pretty good MWR and man, did I work a lot with those guys. Um, but that was so much, that was so much fun. And you just like, you develop relationships and, and love with those people. You serve when you, you know, when you're serving in a kind of a smaller, uh, ADAC, I, can't imagine there were at the time more than a thousand people there. I think it was far less than that. Um, so it's pretty small population. They had already gotten, you know, families. It was isolated due to the time. So, um, but man, did I enjoy that. And that was, that was so much fun. And in fact, I got to, um, host karaoke on Friday nights at the officers club. I got to, um, DJ. So Officers do love karaoke. I don't know why. 
Yeah. Weird. <laughs> oh, but man, I, I tell you, it was, it was great. It was great training too. So, uh, you got to do karaoke every Friday night for nearly a year and then DJed every Saturday night at the enlisted club. And that was a lot. Wow. So, man, it's just good times. Good times. I'm, I am so grateful that I have those memories and I, I wouldn't trade them for anything because, you know, again, there was, there was some tough stuff and of course isolated from family, friends and, you know, and that caused its own friction. And, uh, you know, you didn't always work with leaders that were very kind. <laughs> mm. Um, so, you know, had to go through some, you know, had, had some, just a lot of good, a lot of, lot of stuff you know, along with this stuff. So, uh, you, you served five years then, right? Yeah. 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 So for j- journalism, because the school was a little lengthy, um, mm-hmm. they, they re- you'd had to, you had to put an extra year on. Well, at least you, uh, knew what you were getting yourself into. I signed a six year contract to be a cow scout, which is the longest you can sign for. And it's like, that was stupid to begin with, but I mean, I stayed in doing it for 14 and a half years. So until yeah. I was medically retired, but so made it a career for almost, but so uh, when you transitioned, when did you know you're going to get, when, when did you know you're going to be done with it? You were like, ah, I want to try my hand on the outside. Yeah, I was pretty, um, you know, because I, my job happened to have a little bit more civilian application than a lot of other military jobs. I knew that, you know, I talked with enough people that already kind of made their exit. They were able to step into jobs. Okay. Uh, in journalism. Now, for whatever reason, didn't work out for me. I didn't find anything in, in my field. Um, you know, it was just, just really crappy. Like I could work at a radio station and make, minimum wage, you know, overnight, but there was really nothing that was available to me. So I pretty much kind of started over professionally, but I had my experience. Now, here's what I will say, though. I ended up taking a few college classes while I was in. And listen, if there's anyone who's got some connections to those that are still in, you're currently enlisted, try to max out on those on that college program. And it's such a hookup. Um, but I ended up, I'd say by the time I was done, it was new. It was more than one semester. Like it was, it was close to finishing my freshman year by the you know time I added everything up. So between that, um, you know, of course you, they give you some college credits and stuff like that. Um, but then I I went to college year round in spring and summer off. Um, I, I ended up getting my bachelor's degree done in two and a half years. I was pretty proud. Oh, but I'll wow. tell you, listen, if I had not. If I had gone directly to college straight out of high school, I don't think it would have worked out real well for me. I grew up in the in the military, and I was also able to get my college degree done in, you know, almost half the time. So I was really – so not only did I have that pressure of trying to catch up with some of my friends, um, but then I was like, look, I, I'm, you know, timer's going here, man. I want, I want to get working. You know? <laughs> so I was pretty motivated. And – um you know, I, I just, I worked my ass off. Like I would max out on credits. Like I would go year round. I didn't take spring, summer. I didn't take summers off. Like I was already used to, and this is interesting, right? Like I was already used to a pace that I don't think my peers may have been used to. Um, I, you know, even when I was in the, in the military, I had moonlight. Like I was always working. I was working, 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 working. And so I just took that work ethic and directly into college. Um, and man, it, it was awesome. Now, 
Um, you know, I wouldn't say I picked the best college uh, degree. <laughs> I, I wanted to be a, so I wanted to be uh, a love doc. So here's, here's why I, I, I did, did enough radio. And at the time there was like, uh, Adam and Drew from, you know, uh, you know, had just kind of come along with, um, love lines and, you know, I wanted to be a love doctor on the radio. Uh, that was like my fantasy at the time. So I, so I went into marriage. So I went into family science and family therapy as a bachelor's, which is worth 0, 0.0, uh, at the bachelor's level. Like there's nothing you could do with that, uh, until you go and get your master's and PhD. Well, what had happened though is I started, um, you know, if you look for opportunities, you're always looking for opportunities. Um, you know, look where you can step out and like serve maybe and, and, you know, and, and look in new ways, right? So I ended up doing, um, web pages for some of the professors and I did, I would do that in exchange for like research credits or internship credits. And I ended up learning more about web development than I did about family science and family therapy. Now my wife went on to become a family therapist, which that's a whole story in and of itself, like how we met and all of that stuff. But, um, but yeah, so I ended up getting a job in uh, as an internet developer uh, straight out of college. And of course that lasted about three years. And I don't know what, I was just not a good employee. Like I was, I was okay. Uh, I'd say, you know, when I was enlisted, I wasn't exceptional. I was, I was good. Certainly I was good at the skills of it, but I wouldn't say I was a great employee. And similarly, like as an internet developer, like, um, you know, I, I, corporate America was tough for me because I'm one of those people that if, if I have a great idea, I just want to go do it. Like I, I, I don't have time to wait around for, you know, people to vote on whether or not we should do something. I just want to go do it. And, Where'd you get that from? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's just uh, kind of hot to trot on, like you know, again, kind of that pace. You know, it's like I, I, I felt you like. Have, go ahead. You don't have that patience to wait for other people to say yes. You just want to get it done and get it, get yeah. it, go, get it going, and get your ideas out there. That's it. Yeah, that's it. So yeah, so eventually I left corporate America. I started a number of businesses. I'd say, you know, I had a couple during college and stuff, but, um, you know, all, all told, um, I had been through about six different small businesses. Some were pretty, you know, pity or, you know, just a little, uh, little part time thing or whatever, but I had, I, I had either exited or failed in business about six times. And then my seventh business venture, see, and this is where the, the soft skills, like what's in your gut, what's in your heart? Do you have the perseverance to continue on when other people throw in the towel? And I do, I do, I have that. And on my seventh business venture, that's the one that became a seven figure a year company. Uh, Cause I just kept on showing up. Just like Captain so, America. <laughs> I so, can do this all day. So your seventh one, huh? Yeah, wow. yeah. I mean, people really need to hear that because I think just about everybody fails in business if they go out on their own a couple times. So that's right. Welcome think, to the club. Yeah. I think even David Meltzer, I don't know if a lot of people know him, but he went bankrupt what, twice, and now he's like, yep. God, I don't know how much he's worth now, and he's one of the people that are up there in business. Yep. And you know, so what is your seventh venture that you that you're going on now? No, no, that was Savings Angel. Um, Savings oh, okay. Angel, I launched, uh, in January 20, 2007, and I didn't have any money for advertising. 
Um, and it was a basically a membership-based website that, again, this was January 2007 that I launched. And so you would pay $20 a month, and I would tell you how to – basically save, you know, four or $500 off your grocery bill every single month. So I would database coupons. I would database all the store sales. I say, listen, take this $1 coupon into this grocery store and you can get Cheerios for 50 cents a box. Take this coupon to this store and you get, so I basically, I could mathematically show you how you could feed your whole family for like 300 bucks a month. And I, 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 um, need, I need that right now. Like, can you, yeah, can you show well, me? I got six yeah. kids right now. So. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> Apparently, you're you're uh, there. Listen, there was a really uh, there was a good rise, and then extreme couponing came about. This is again, mm-hmm. this is way back in the day, and uh, we 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 became like that. That was when extreme couponing hit the scene. Like our income would. You know, it was it was awesome. Like it, it's it's a lot of fun to be able to be rewarded, and I was so humbled because again, I paid my dues. Like I failed time, time and time again. Lost two houses, bankruptcy, went through all that stuff. You know, kept having you know just bad situations in business, but I just kept at it. Um, but yeah, um, no, eventually uh, consumers. I grew a little tired of coupons and certainly having to do the extra work. And so it, it, uh, so I would say culturally, you know, we just came out of favor. The market had decided that they were no longer interested in that, um, which was fine because I had already been doing some consulting on the side. You know, I built a big company. People were like, Hey, how'd you build the company? And you did zero advertising. I'm like, well, it's all PR. Like I just, you know, um, became a syndicated newspaper columnist. I, uh, syndicated radio, syndicated TV, like all told, you know, I've now today been in the press, you know, well over 2,500 times primarily um, teaching consumer skills. Like, I, that, that's just what I – and I still do that today. I still have my syndicated newspaper column. Um, it's in, like, 12, I think 12, 13 newspapers, um, you know, plus digital. Um, I do TV all the time. Locally, I've been on TV in Orlando over 700 times. So, wow. you know, again, I just keep showing up. I don't even have a business like that. I don't really make money off a of savings angel anymore, but I do it because I enjoy it. Like, and I, I, I'm empathic to – you know, the personas that I serve, you know, the mom that is just, you know, she has to decide between do I buy pull-ups, but damn it, huggies are so expensive, or do I buy milk, right? It's someone in that position that puts, that lights a fire under me. Like, so when I'm in the morning, and this is kind of getting, this coming, coming around full circle here, because I talked about this earlier, when you feel like you're getting burnt out, when you feel like you feel underappreciated for the work that you do, I want you to think about someone who benefits from the work you do and you focus on them. It, what are the consequences of you not showing up today? Who sacrifices because you weren't willing to show up? I don't, I don't want to come at it from a guilt and shame perspective, but just like what you do matters. And I'm talking to the person that's listening to our conversation right now. What you do in the world matters. You are improving someone's life in some way. And it may not be directly, it might be more indirectly, but man, the people that clean the streets, the people that take care of the garbage, the people that keep the power on in my house, provide clean drinking water for my family. I am in awe of everyone who's involved that makes this country run, that, that makes, you know, society run, like everyone matters. And so I, 
shoot. You know, it's like I can do my part. I can do my part to, to help their make their life better. But yeah, um, I, I do very, very little with Savings Angel Day because we launched um, up my influence uh, in about 2014 and it was completely unintentional. I, I did not mean to start up my influence, but here we are today. <laughs> well, that's nice. So, and I like the fact that I think my wife's probably heard of you because I remember 2007 or oh, what year was it? Uh, well, we had kids and we got together 2010, 11, I don't remember. And I know she was started trying to get into that couponing stuff because that's just, she needed something to do, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And uh, then we started having kids and then she started trying to do it. But yeah, that, that extreme couponing stuff, it, it can be pretty rough. Though, yeah, but. it was, it was ridiculous. I mean, it was like, dude, I would roll out of a Meyer grocery store and I would have like $300 of groceries in my cart and I'd be like 30 bucks. It was, like insane. I need that, I need that yeah, so bad. It, it, if you knew how to work it, um, now this show ended up making people look stupid and ridiculous, which is why I said no to having anything. And, and I had a couple of other friends who were like, no, no, Josh, don't. Mm-mm-mm. They're they're gonna they're basically gonna do. It's gonna be extreme hoarders for coupons. They're, all these people are gonna get completely railroaded. We know what they're up to, and and they they were right. It it you know they just made them look dumb. But the thing is, though, and they they did the show that they had on TV about entertainment yeah, was, DLC, yes. But it made it made the people look like you said. Not I don't know about if dumb's the right word, but they made them look. I don't know. It, it's well, like the know. guy who's got like eighty tubes of toothpaste in his garage. It, it's hoarding. It, 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 and it, I it always, is. I was always really against that Um, because I'm like, look, what you want is enough for your family and you want enough. You can comfortably use that stuff before it expires. Everything else, you need to donate it. You need to get Mm. that in the hands of someone that could consume. These are consumables and they need to be consumed. Um, And um, we facilitated, I mean, tens of millions, I'd say collectively over the years, we facilitated easily tens of millions of dollars of, of products and goods uh, given away or donated through, you know, what we inspired. Cause I truly believe, and in fact, um, the name I got, uh, for Savings Angel, my wife and I, uh, got to attend a taping of the Oprah show and Bono and Alicia Keys were on. They were talking about Project Red. And, um, in between the uh, segments, Bono said to the audience, and it was like that moment where I felt like everyone else disappeared. And I felt like he was like talking right into my soul. And he said, you know, I believe we'll get to a point where hunger, lack and need will be such a relic of the past. When we come to realize that it doesn't take a lot, it just takes everybody just doing a little bit. If everybody just does a little bit in their local communities, we can. It is so easy to solve hunger, lack and need. We just all have to look out for each other. That's it. And but, you know, it's like like he said something. He said that. And I was like, man, that's it. That's why I'm here. And, uh, yeah, we did a lot of good there. But, yeah, like I said, um, consumers got a little tired of couponing. But, you know, and, and again, thankfully, I was already you – know, and, and I'll tell you, the consulting that I was doing on the side, um, that was unintentional as well because what I did – and, again, this I think is good, you know, good karma here, you know, good um, a good message. But when you figure something out, Right. And, and you, it's like, man, if somebody else knew what I just figured out here, that might be valuable. Like go find ways to give away that information. 
go democratize your wisdom, right? And so I would serve in our local startup community. Um, I did a lot of pro bono stuff, served on boards, mentoring workshops, um, a lot, of, a lot of mostly military. Like I told, told local SPD sales, like anytime you have someone that's got or um, score or, uh, you know, those guys, I'm like, anytime you have someone that's got military background, call me up and I will serve. You know, I, you know, you let me know and I'll go and I'll just spend time with them, see what I can do, see if I can make some connections. And so I started doing stuff, basically helping them get media. Um, and then I did that enough times that there were some opportunities that came about, paid opportunities. I, was like, oh, I guess. In fact, it's kind of funny because I, I, even though I didn't go to school for PR, but I had, um, I had, a, I had a legit opportunity and someone basically wanted to pay me like their PR consultant. I had to call my friend who was, who was like a PR professional and I'm like, Hey, this, this, this company wants to pay me for PR. Like, am I going to get in any trouble? Cause I'm not like a licensed PR person. He goes, no way, man. You take that. No, money. no you won't. You won't. You don't even need to go to college anymore for it. You can learn literally everything through just online stuff. It's so, so much better. And, so. and you just, I, I guess if you just really get out there, watch, practice, you're going to have your failures. You're going to have your clients that are unhappy, of course. Um, but, I mean, it's it's not that hard to pick up. It really isn't. Um, you just got to make sure you follow through and just never say no, really, is what I found mm-hmm. out. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you keep showing up and, and keep, you know, volunteering, like you will just like that is the fastest path to opportunities. Like keep showing up, keep doing good, network with amazing people. Um, I really love the book, The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. Um, it, it's, you know, in business, you know, when you uh, when you're more generous than your competition, uh, that's what wins today. That's going to help you get more sales um, and up my influence today. Um, we were. A, uh, we started off in media consulting and PR and then about is another unintentional, right? When you stay in the game, just like good stuff happens. But about four years ago, uh, one of my clients, so uh, I had gotten to speak for Tony Robbins organization. I got to speak for, you know, a lot of really good conferences. Uh, and, um, I got good business out of that, but then there were these gaps where I wasn't doing any speaking and, you know, June, July, August would roll around. I'm like, I'm not doing any speaking. I'm not getting any new business as an agency owner. That's tough. Like you gotta, you gotta keep new business coming in. And so I'm like, well, what am I supposed to be doing here? I don't, you know, um, I gotta be, you know, we tried ads, we tried all this other stuff and it's just, ugh, none of it really resonated. Um, so we took our podcast and, uh, the thoughtful entrepreneur, which, you know, again, to our friends listening just right now, you can go search me, the thoughtful entrepreneur, or you can search my name. Um, and I said, you know what I'm going to do with my podcast is I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm going to increase the rate of folks that I chat with and I'm going to serve. I'm going to make it all about them and I'm going to, I'm going to celebrate them. I don't care about, you know, what I get out of it in front of this audience, but I'm going to make someone else look good because I believe that if you give at some point, especially with folks that are doing okay in business, like I have a theory. My theory is that I think that there's probably a point where I won't be able to outgive the market. Like if I just keep showing up that way, mm-hmm. sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And the networking that I got from my podcast led to all the clients that we could handle. And and one of my, this is on the PR side. And one of my, one of our PR clients said, Hey, I see what you guys are doing over there. That's pretty brilliant. You know, can you help me? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And so we did some work for her. She ended up, no joke, she ended up making about 175k in new sales from her podcast um, within 90 days. 
Wow. Um, it wasn't so much about like selling to the audience. Now you're there to serve the audience, but it's if if you get to decide like who else you're networking with as a part of like creating content together, you could be a little bit intentional about that. And um you know, just like, man, that person's amazing. Oh my gosh, if I could build a relationship with them, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for us to collaborate and, you know, get other introductions and you just want to become like a masterful networker. But listen, podcasting, podcasts are the ultimate networking tool. You know, already, you know, it allows you to just uh, punch up a couple of levels because you're kind of wearing this media badge, which gives you access to folks that you wouldn't normally get time with. And so, um, yeah, in fact, it was really interesting. Um, we had, she was client number one, Sonia, then, um, one of her clients was client number two, uh, it, just an attorney, you know, who was one of our clients. He was client number three and all three of them were doing all right with this. And I thought, hmm, we need to run a beta. We ran the beta. Beta was pretty successful. Um, and it was about four months later, we let go of all of our PR clients. <laughs> What did you do that for? Because I was doing B minus. I would say we were doing B, B minus level work on PR. But meanwhile, we were just consistently knocking out of the park. So, so, you know, it's like that focus, right? And, um, and I think there's something to be said for that. Like, and we, we really, we turned down. I mean, it was, you know, we probably gave up a good, Ten, twelve thousand dollars in recurring. It wasn't a whole lot by then, but it was about a good twelve thousand dollars, I'd say, in recurring revenue that we basically just cut off the books because it was keeping us distracted. And it, 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 you know, we were, you know, then we were also kind of, well, we're this identity and we're this identity, and they're not really the same things. What are we? We need. To, I think we need to just draw a line in the sand. And and it was, you know, the transition wasn't a hundred percent smooth, but um, you know, thankfully, it, it was the right call. And today, again, I mean, at this point now, we've launched over two hundred podcasts with clients, and and you know, they've gone on to like we have clients that have landed huge seven figure sales and deals, you know, again, um, so we consult primarily podcasts is just part of it. Um, what we do, but we're, we're largely now today, um, you know, B2B sales, uh, we, we, we drive revenue, right. And, you know, so we work with agencies, coaches, consultants, um, B2B service providers, they have to sell some pretty high ticket stuff. They have to be pretty high authority uh, to work with us. But if I have those things, and most importantly, they have to be very relationship oriented in their approach to sales. If they're a, you know, kind a of a robot. automate bro marketing, not a fit for us. And it's, God bless them. That's wonderful if that someone's doing that. It just doesn't fit with our system. Like ours is very relationship oriented, very consultative. So, and, and a lot of our clients will have pretty long sales cycles. Like they'll, it could be 12 months, you know. So, but what we do is we just, we help drive a lot of opportunities. So we just keep them. Consistent, predictable, new introductions, and we just keep that going, and then eventually the sales uh, follow. Well, I appreciate all that information, and that is very – I don't think people understand the power of podcasts and how it can drive so much uh, media and people to you without even really trying that hard, honestly, because people really want to jump on podcasts, get their stories out there, and, yeah. you know, it's worked great for, it's working great for us so far. I mean, I, I, mean, I got you on, so – well, yeah, sure. So it's worth somewhere. Yes. Uh, my, my observation, podcast guests and hosts tend to be generally 
amazing centers of influence. They know people. They might not necessarily be, they might not necessarily be huge influencers, but they generally network at a pace that is, that dwarfs most business leaders. Podcast guests and hosts know lots of people. Um, so that should be one clue. Number two, they tend to be extremely collaborative. It's very rare today that you get, that you bump into people in the podcasting world. I'm not saying it's not the case. There's certainly out there. Um, but most people are pretty generous with their time, right? And um, you don't experience today as many of those, I'm just out there to sell my stuff to those audiences. Most people are a little bit more mature. You know, sometimes you get the amateurs that kind of come into it, and then they get a feel for the culture pretty quick that that's, yeah, that's a no-no. You don't do that here. You're in, pod, in the podcasting world, you deliver value. You deliver content, and you serve that audience. First and foremost, that attracts a really good persona. Pod, the podcasting world's amazing. Um, listen, there's a couple of good podcasting conferences out there. There's a lot of regional meetups. Like if someone's listening to us and they're toying with it, go find a local podcast meetup. Um, Podfest, I think, is an amazing conference. It's a great community. Podcast Movement has a lot of different events that they do, and I think each of them might also sponsor local events. Get to know some podcasters. Um, they, like I said, they're usually really good. And let them know who you're looking to connect with. Um, they probably know them. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That, uh, I, I like all the information you're giving the people and the value behind all of it. And I'm glad you went into that versus just, you know, a conversation you're providing value, which a lot of people don't want to do anymore is provide value. Um, how can people get a hold of you and how can they find you? I know, I know upmyinfluence.com, but how else? Yeah. Well, um, so there's, there's two really specific areas. I think, you know, just depending on where you're at in business. Um, if you are like, if you're doing well in business, like you're doing six figures and beyond, um, uh, particularly if you're B2B, I would love to have you as a guest on my podcast. And again, that's the thoughtful entrepreneur. Um, the best way to get there. And, and we just have a, you just book directly on our site, right? So the website, you know, for someone that's like, yeah, or maybe you know someone who would be a good guest. I do a daily show. So I have an app. Like I'm, we're always on the hunt for great guests that we could celebrate. And we have a pretty good audience. We have over a hundred thousand on socials um, that we promote them to. Um, so usually they, you know, we get some good stuff. So anyway, you could just go to, again, the website is www.upmyinfluence.com. Dot com, Or if you don't remember, they just search those terms and you could probably find me or you could just search my name, Josh Elledge, and you'll you'll find me. Um, that's number one. So if you're not yet at that level, totally fine. Um, listen, if you're interested in kind of these concepts I'm talking about, like if you really want more consistency and predictability in sales um, and you're willing to lead with a little bit of generosity, like you're willing to be a giver. Um, I've got a, I got a class. There's no sales on it. I'm basically just going to open up my playbook and I'm going to say, here's exactly what I do step by step. And I tell you to show you everything we do. Go copy it. You don't need to give me anything. Like I'm good. Really? Um, but that no, no, class, no money. No, I mean, if you're rocking it in business, you know what to do. Like, okay, here's, here's my philosophy on this, right? What I believe is give away all your best stuff all the time. There's going to be populations who say, thank you, awesome, and they're going to take it, and they're going to run with it, and you inspired them, and you created good in the world. Okay, Then there's going to be people who see it, they go, wow, that looks really great. I don't want to do that. I'll just hire you. 
But you have True. to try, trust your audience. Stop selling at people who are not appropriate to sell at. Or, or you know, just like what you do is you give generously to everybody and you let audiences self-select. So, man, I tell you what, that like that little philosophy right there will free you as a business owner or as a sales professional or marketing director or whatever, when you just like, listen, we give to everybody because listen, those people that you give generously to, they could become advocates. And it's, um, you know, not everyone can afford, you know, how, you know, we're not cheap, but we're good. We're really good at what we do. Um, so that way it's like, I would never dream of even introducing an opportunity to engage where it's like, you know, oh, I don't have that kind of money. I don't even want to have that awkward conversation. So no, <laughs> I just, no, no, that's no. why I say give give it all away and let those who say that sounds great. You sound like you know what you're talking about. I'll just hire you. Those are the people that those are our clients. I got it. And I appreciate you coming on here and you provided way more value than I was expecting today. And I will definitely make sure I stay in contact with you. Um, you really know how to know how to talk and you know, I, I really like this. It, it, it was nice. Required taste. Not everyone's going to listen to this whole interview and like me. Uh, you know. Well, I think at least least listen to the last part about giving away for free. That's yes. that's my biggest thing. So yep. I think with the digital marketers right now, they don't really know what they're doing. Uh, and that's like you said earlier, the it's a digital marketing. You didn't see much success in it or any. Yeah, boy, I, you could get me going on that topic right there because I got some ideas I, on I'm, what's going on there. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to hook you up some with somebody. Time. I'm going to hook you up with somebody that you need to talk to then because he's in the same mental state as you with that kind of stuff. I guarantee it. Yeah. And uh, But that wraps up this one on the Swandingo Files. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swandingo Files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host, Stephen Swanson, as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember, transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough. But with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle. So until next time, keep on trucking, and keep Swandingoing.